Welcome to Scale and Bail with John Woolley and Ben Zawalski, presented to you by Innovate. This weekly podcast is designed for those of you that are looking for ways to be more efficient and effective in the gym without feeling like you have to max out every workout. We'll be covering topics relative to all aspects of fitness, and we'd love to spend time with you here each and every week, so get subscribed on all your favorite podcast apps and YouTube. Now on to the show. Ben Zawalski, what is up, my man? Another day, another another beer? Or is it another day, another dollar? Oh, well, I don't have any beer in the house, so it's definitely not another beer. I wish I had some beer in the house. My legs hurt. I had a tough workout this after. You ever you ever have one of those workouts where you do a lot of squats and your legs are already sore like two hours later and you know... Yeah, that's you- when you know delayed onset muscle soreness wasn't very delayed. And no. it's like, oh, no. <laughs> It, it was like, you know, I worked out in the base, I worked out in the basement today and it was like walking back up the stairs. I knew it wasn't going to be delayed. Like when you know immediately <laughs> that it's bad, I did not scale or bail. <laughs> it was not fun. Uh, we'll talk about it though. Before we jump into it, hey, let me talk about the sponsor. Uh, we keep talking about UCAN and I'm going to keep talking about UCAN because I love this stuff. I took one this morning. I brought, I brought one with me so you could see it because I know you don't have them yet. My little, uh, energy bar of course only the people that see this on youtube are going to get to see this a little cherry berry almond these are delicious dude when you get these you're gonna you're gonna go the way to my heart is food and carbohydrates so well th- this will accomplish both uh super starch um which will keep you from crashing which for me particularly in days like today where i knew i wasn't going to get to work out until you know kind of later in the day but i also you know, wasn't going to have like a super early lunch. Like I wasn't going to get to lunch till one o'clock. I had one, uh, when I got ready to leave for work and it was great. Like no crashes. I mean, I wasn't full. It's not like this thing is, you know, 700 calories. It's like 126 calories, but, or 160, but, um, but you know, it kept me going for until one o'clock when I got to lunch and it was great. No crashes, kept my blood sugar steady, which is what I really appreciate about it. Cause I tend to, particularly at my age, uh, tend to dip in the late afternoons. You know what I mean? And, uh, it's kind of perfect. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. It's cause you're just a young pup, <laughs> just a young pup, but, um, I would really suggest it. And I know yours are coming soon. So I, I had asked them to send you a little bit of everything, but I think you're going to like the bars a lot. And I think you'll also like the, um, the energy drink, which uh, is I'm excited for all of it. I, like I said, I use in, in Colorado, this is the first place I've actually needed to pay attention to carbohydrate timing, or I've, I've may, I maybe more accurately, I've noticed that it makes a difference to properly, schedule carbohydrates and have electrolytes. Those are things that I, I'm now very much appreciating in my longer uh, mountain biking workouts and, and soon to be long ruck trips in the mountains. You know, what's interesting for me because it's so, so slow burning is I don't really like, I normally get, I, I'm an early eater. I get made fun of because like I can eat the second my feet hit the floor in the morning if I wanted to. And, uh, so I'll eat one in the morning before I go to work. And then if I don't, if I don't eat lunch until even later than I wanted, I don't really get hungry. Now it's not, it's not like a diet pill or, you know, a diet bar, even it's just an energy bar. I just don't feel like I'm going to crash. Like when I'm, you know, you know, I get that feeling when you're starving 
and you feel like I'm about to hit the wall. I'm just like, I can't move. I never get that way. And so for me, it's a, it's a real carry through, which is great. It did not carry me through my workout today though. Cause my legs are still super sore, but um, <laughs> if anybody wants to buy this, go to youcan.co and use our code, which is scale S C A L E and get 20% off, which is really cool. So let me tell you about my workout, Ben. You can tell me how I should have scaled it. Talk to me. I did five rounds. Uh, well, what was it? A uh, thousand meters on the assault bike, uh, five back squats. And I went light, which I thought was the scale at 155 and then 15 GHDs, which isn't really a scaled option for most people. But I have a GHD here in the house and it's, you know, decent with it. They're fun. Yeah. And that was the workout. And I thought, all right, this won't be a big deal. You know, like, you know, a thousand meters in the salt bikes, less than two minutes, depending on how hard you want to pedal. And I'm like, I'm not going to pedal that hard. I'm going to, you know, keep it around 300 Watts or so, maybe 350 and just power through it. And man, my legs hurt. You said five back squats? <laughs> yeah. And then they were light. It was one. Yeah. That's pretty light. I mean, light. even for, for me, all depending on your one rep max, but yeah, I, can, I know that's light for you. Yeah, it's like fifty percent of my one rep max. Like, yeah, it's light. And I uh, think the I think simply that assault bike directly. I mean, any sort of run into a squat or assault bike into a squat. Like I've done a few of those workouts where it's like a four hundred meter sprint or two hundred meter sprint into front squats or back squats, and I mean it, it'll just dust you. I think where you're maybe overlooking it is is sure if it was three rounds you probably wouldn't have felt anything but there's something about those those final two rounds that probably really dug it in i mean even 25 you know loaded back squats can be a decent amount of volume it's a five by five um and then five by five mixed with probably bikes that you were sprinting or pushing a little bit harder um that's just a deadly combo on the legs man you're filling them with blood and then you're squatting and and then i mean the ghgs i mean that's that's something that actually we should talk about is like if you've never done a ghd setup or have very rarely implemented them into your training that's something you have to look out for everyone listening like do not do high volume ghds ever unless you are trained for them because that is actually one of the highest or Apparently, that's one of the highest uh, rhabdo-inducing exercises in CrossFit specifically is because it's, it's a movement that you can do at a very high volume and use other movers like your legs and your hip flexors and stuff like that, and it will just smoke your abs. And unless you've practiced them before, it, it's a recipe for, for overdoing your volume there. Well, look, I mean, I have one in the house, so I do a lot of them. If, you know, if I were programming this for a gym, it would have been set up. So it would not have been G. Yeah. Yeah. But I just wanted to let everyone know listening is like, just the fact that we're not talking about the GHDs, just you're casually doing 15 per round. Uh, I mean, some people that would like some people that would put them in the dirt, um, just the GHDs alone. So just, I had to mention that. Well, I'd like to go on record. It didn't feel casual at the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, the GHDs were the least of my worries. If I'm being honest, the assault bike just sucks. There's something about that thing. I just, you know, I ride the C2 bike all the time. There's just something different about the gear on that assault bike that just tears me up. I just I don't like it, but you got to do know. it. I think it's some sort of magic juju that's in there. Maybe. 
I mean, you know, it's, it does, it's not as smooth as a C2 bike. It doesn't have that mm-hmm. same, you know, kind of like the C2 bike just has a smooth gear. You can just sit there and pedal for hours, but the assault bike, man, just like every, the harder you pedal, the worse it is. And the slower you pedal, the worse it is. Like there's I no, I would say, yeah. Like an assault bike feels like you're riding a bike uphill really sloppily. Yeah. And then the, the C2 bike is like, you're riding on flat ground and it feels nice. None of this has anything to do with scaling, but my only opinion on this, the only time the assault bike gets easier is if you're in an all out sprint and you have like that, that one moment, like when the fans really move and your feet are really moving, you, you have about a 10 second window where it's not that hard. And then your heart rate catches up and you're done. <laughs> you know, it's like, it just really, it really sucks. But oh yes, it does. Anyway. All right. Well, I had some questions that came in uh, from listeners. And I, thought I can't we, wait to um, dig into them. Yeah, so I thought some a couple of these were pretty interesting. So someone asked me, "How do you know you're in the right gym?" And I, you know, so I started thinking about that, like as a master's athlete, and specifically they were talking about as a master's athlete. Hmm. You know, how do you how do you know you're in a gym that, um, you know, has maybe a master's track or master's focus or even is even dedicated to masters? Like my gym's a good example, uh, and this is no offense to the twins because they take great care of me, but I'm one of three people my age Hmm. and everyone else in the gym, including every coach in that place is under the age of 30. Under 30. Wow. Under 30, the entire entirety of the gym and the bulk of them are, I would say. I'd be old at your gym. You, you would, you'd be an old man. Oh my goodness. They should give me the front parking space. I'm so old. (laughs) Like the little handicapped space, just, you know. Reserved for gym elders. Yeah. I get the little ramp. Be great. How do you know when you're at the right gym? Ugh. I would look at, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily care too much about do they have a specific master's track? How many other people at the gym are just like you? I would mainly look at if you have history there, I would look at what is your history? Like, what is your history of progress? If you've been plateaued for a really long time, it might not be the gym, but it could be a factor. It could be that you're not surrounding yourself with people who push you to the next level or or maybe let's say you're getting injured all the time. You're surrounded by people that are pushing you outside of your comfort zone too much and you're, you're overstretching your means. But if you're looking at your history and looking at your progress and you're like, yeah, I might not have a master's track to follow and I might not have many other master's athletes, but if I look at my numbers, I feel good. I look good and my numbers are improving or I like where I'm at. You know, I'm getting older and not declining. Um, I, I really don't like that though. I like to see improvement because there's so many people who still improve through their fifties and sixties. I mean, well, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I I, I think anyone that goes four or five days a week is probably going to see some sort of improvement. And for me, I like, I want to know what is the experience of coaching that the coaches have, like who have they coached in my age bracket? Like, you know, so like I, you know, again, I trust the twins. They were trained by Scott, but mentality Scott's gym has an abundance of people in my age. So I know mm-hmm. they've got years of training people at my age group. And I've said it before. I think there's a, there is a difference in understanding the the needs of the body of a master's athlete. And I'm not sure a 20 something coach with a level one that they got in the 48 hours of the weekend 
has that experience level. Yeah, I think it's important that your coaches, especially if you're talking about like that young gun coach, a lot of, I remember being the young gun coach for a little while that would bring the competitive mindset that I used in CrossFit and bring it to my coaching where I was always trying to push people like, oh, you need to PR today or, oh, you need to put more weight on that bar, you know, and, and kind of like, and it worked for some people. Some people really appreciate that, but I didn't necessarily spend enough time uh, hammering down like, Hey, what are your goals? Um, Cause some people are just like, Hey, I'm just trying not to get hurt, you know, or I'm just trying to, to move consistently. And then you realize, Oh, their goals are different than mine. Um, that's the sign of a good coach. So even if they are like a young coach and they might not have much experience coaching a master's athlete, that doesn't mean that you can't be their success story. I would, again, just like look at your, what sort of progress have you made in the past? If you're brand new, it might be difficult for you to, to know the difference. I always encourage new newer athletes to maybe try out a couple of gyms, not in the sense of, uh, like program hopping, but it's always nice to, to drop into a few gyms because you're going to notice the coaching difference. I got a DM today uh, from a listener just talking about the difference between their old CrossFit coaches at XYZ gym uh, compared to their new, her new coaches at her new gym. And she was like, it is night and day. You walk into the gym and everyone at my new gym is moving well. We're happy. We're healthy. We're encouraging when at the old gym, there were people that were moving, that just generally everyone moved pretty terribly. Um, the coaches didn't care if you moved terribly. They wouldn't give you cues to correct it. They were just kind of there babysitting you. Well, and I think that's really important is to, is to have someone who, who keeps you accountable for your movement. Well, let's talk about that, though. Because if you're, you know, if, if I think it would be fair to say when you're looking for a gym, most gyms are created equal. Not all, but most when it comes to gear setup, like, you know, CrossFit gyms are at least everyone I've been to are very, very similar. They all have barbells, kettlebells, three GHDs, a couple of ski ergs and a bunch of bikes, right? Like, some of them, some of them will have a basketball hoop. It, yes. We have a basketball hoop. It's great. Those are, cool. um, but you know, so the layout's the same for most. So then, so really it comes down to coaching. And when you're selecting a gym and you're trying to find one that's going to be right for you, particularly as a, either a new athlete or a master's athlete. So maybe we need to be talking about what are the attributes of a coach you should be looking for. I'll start with one that we can talk about, which is you need one that's going to ask questions. Bingo. Lots of questions. What like, kind of questions did they ask, John? Um, do you have any limitations? I think it's a question you should ask athletes coming in. Like you, you need to ask, do you have any impairments? Do you have any aches and pains I need to be aware of? Any reoccurring injuries? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've seen new coaches coming in and they like, they treat the entire class exactly the same. Don't even look around to ask. They just go, Hey, this is what we're doing today. Let's go. You know? Yeah. And, and they're brand new to the class. Now I, I could understand that if you've been coaching there a long time and you know, everyone in the class, like you don't have to ask questions every single class, but right you know, if you've built that relationship, you know, as an athlete, you should be going to your coach and saying, Hey, I hurt myself yesterday. I can't do this. But when you're a new coach and you don't know the class and they don't know you, you know, asking questions, I think is a, is a key attribute of a, of a good teacher. Definitely. What else? Yeah. Being able to, so we have asking questions. Um, 
I really appreciate when coaches are consistent or when there's consistent coaching throughout the gym, like Vantage CrossFit uh, or CrossFit Vantage, Vantage Movement, whichever name they want to go by. The one in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, down the street from my house in Denver, they, every class you go to is, you know what to expect because all the coaches were trained to lead class a certain way. Sure, they write their own warm-ups and they have their own styles of coaching. Some people are more active. Some people do more like old school mobility stuff. Um, some people teach in different styles. However, you always know that you're going to get warmed up, like dynamic warm-up. You're going to gather around the whiteboard. The coach is going to explain the stimulus and go over all the different scaling options. Ask for a raise, you know, like, hey, who, who thinks they're going to try this option? Okay, cool. Like, we'll work together on, on X, Y, and Z. Who's trying this option? All right, well, I'll make sure that I keep an eye out on this. And I know that when I go to that class, there's a warm-up, a whiteboard discussion, a question of the day that, that honestly sometimes is way too long and that grinds my gears, but that's okay. Uh, it's good for people to get to know, would you rather have hands for fingers or toes for hands or whatever? <laughs> it's just like, I don't, I don't care why you're asking me this. Um, but after the question of the day, then we actually get into like the, uh, the actual movements of the workout. So if it's snatches, we'll start going through the snatch progressions, even though we've already warmed up our shoulders, then we go through the snatch, snatch progressions. And it all goes to say that like, it's a consistent product. It's not saying that all the coaches have to coach the same, have the same personality, but it's a consistent product. I really like that. Well, what frustrates me is when people, yeah, it's, it shows good. It shows good leadership from the top. What frustrates me is gyms that you go to one class and you're like, man, that coach was amazing. Class was well-organized and, and like, we clearly had a plan going into this. It wasn't just like, uh, uh, you got, uh, do some of these, do some arm circle, you know? Um, and then you go to the next class and it's just like, what is this? This is totally different. So I like consistency that shows you have good top-down leadership in the gym. Well, I think they have to lead their class as part of it too. It isn't just the top-down leadership. Like there's nothing worse than, you know, you have one of your, you know, four or five coaches that consistently starts late or ends late, you know, don't start and end on time. It's yeah. a huge pet peeve. They don't control the class. Like, you know, there's a lot there. So I think you, you know, to your point, you want consistency amongst all of them, but you want them to all run their class to actually run it, not, you know, be a, a gym bro. Like they I, need to I, be leaders. They need, yeah. yeah, they don't, you don't want a gym. You don't want a cheerleader. You don't want to fly on the wall. You want someone who leads class and is, and is like able to stand up to the, people who are disrupting class, uh, which happens sometimes, or be the person that gets the class excited when it's just like radio silence. I mean, I don't know if you've been to, it's funny. Some of the morning classes are the really upbeat ones, but a lot of times like mid morning, uh, those classes, sometimes I go to, and it's just like, Ooh, we need a really good playlist today. Cause no <laughs> one wants to say a single word. I'll tell you what else you need is you need a coach. That's a good observer. Like there's nothing worse for me than, you know, they kick the class off and they go through all the steps you talked about and then you get into the workout and then they're not really paying attention to what's going on. Like they're not watching the movement, mm. you know, like I, I personally don't like to be coached midwad. It's been a complaint of mine for some time. And I usually tell my coaches, don't come to me in the middle of a workout and start telling me to correct a movement, do that before the workout or after the workout. I like, I've done it long enough, you know, don't start shouting at me in front of people. 
right? It's just a pet peeve of mine. But you do need somebody that's an observer. Like they need to, they need to be watching to look for people doing dangerous things because I can't tell you how many times I've seen people dropping barbells behind people's ankles, you know, mm-hmm. just stupid things like that. And they should be looking for movement. Are you not getting deep enough? Like there are moments for all of us, myself included, where you're doing wall balls and you don't even realize you're not going to full depth and you need somebody to come over and tell you to get a little deeper, you know? Yeah. The, Oh, keep going. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say one of my favorite parts of the level two seminar, that's the seminar, the CrossFit certification or seminar that like actually teaches coaches how to coach. The level one is great, but it's more of like, here's what you're supposed to coach. And then level two actually is like, here's how to coach and run a class. They talk about like, and I remember Christmas, my mentor being, she was very adamant about like, always go like small and then large, small and large. What that means is like coach an athlete and coach them one-on-one on a specific point that you would like to make with that. Like you're ha- I'm, I'm having a touch point with you. And it's like, hey, John, I really want you to work on like, Try to get that barbell a little bit higher into your hips when on these cleans. It might help if you widen your hands a little bit. Try and, and you know, let me know how it goes. And then it's like I make a, an announcement with the whole class, not John's over here like smashing his wiener on his cleans, you know, and he <laughs> that's not I'm not sharing what we talked about. It's more of like I've coached you. Now it's like, all right, class, I want everyone to really focus on where the barbell is making contact with their legs and or hips on these cleans. Like here's a technique you can use. So what it is, it's like a good coach can coach both the individual and the whole at the same time. Oftentimes inexperienced coaches only coach the whole. And all they do is they stand in front of the class and they say, up, down, up, down, go get this, go do this. Good job, everybody. Right? Like that's it. There's very, very little coaching. And I think that's where um, a good shines. And it's a very nuanced thing, but you'll notice a good coach doesn't spend all their time with the hottest girl in the class or the hottest guy in the class. Um, they, they coach each individual at some point or at least make a touch point with each individual person during the class and make sure to lead the entire class too. Because I have seen people get lost too much in the weeds of coaching each individual. And then the, at, every, at any given time, 90% of the class is alienated from the discussion. So there's that very delicate balance there. For the record, I never smash my wiener on cleans, ever. I now snatches, on the other hand, smash that thing all day long. It's great, <laughs> awesome. For me, it's it's low hang deadlifts, man. That's really that's what gets me. You know, I and I'm with you on what you're talking about because I see that a lot. You know, everything you've mentioned, I feel like I've seen. I I wish CrossFit gyms had the resources to. Um, give coaches more hours on the floor coaching with someone else to get better. Cause I can't, just can't tell you how many gems I've stepped into where you've got some, you know, young, you know, well-intentioned, hardworking, well-studied young person that just doesn't have the hours on the job yet doing it by themselves. You know, I love, I love them when gyms have a head coach and an assistant coach in training. That's, I mean, that's how I learned. Uh, again, I, I got to, Get up, give it up for Christmas and Brandon. Uh, they were the owners of CrossFit Invoke and their mentorship process for me to become a coach, like a head coach, an actual, like, you know, single coach in a class. Uh, it was kind of a long process, but we worked on 
tactile cues, verbal cues, making sure that um, we would do this this ma- this micro and macro. You know, talk to one person, talk to the whole per- whole uh, class. And it's I, I just I always took it for granted. I didn't realize how how few gyms do that. A lot of times it's like level one, like all right, here's how we run a class. Kind of like you ready? Go for it. And they might audit the class, but I really like it when when like one of the best coaches in the gym has that assistant coach that they can like use during warmups. The assistant coach can sit there and soak up the, the ebbs and the flows and the timing of the class. Um, there's like so many small logistics that you, you don't recognize until you're in a class that's running really smoothly. And then you're like, Oh, Oh, this is what it's like when, when the coach has a plan for the warmup, when the coach knows when we should actually get the equipment, um, I, it's my pet peeve when like, all right, everybody go get your box and your barbell. And then it's like, all right, uh, scoot them all to the side. We're going to do some dynamic floor oh. drills. It's like, uh, what, why did we get all the equipment already? Uh, it's just like a, a, a quality coach runs a smooth class and it's, it's going to be hard to teach a beginner what a smooth class is until they've tried a few different gyms and a few different options. Yeah. I think bottom line is, you know, probably the best advice to figure out if you're in the right gym is go interview the gym owner or, you know, the gym coaches and ask a few questions. Like I, you know, I see people joining gym, all, you know, including ours all the time, just sight unseen. Oh, give me the waiver. I'll sign it. Let's go. Without any real thought and to, am I going to like it here? You know, I'm not really trying it out. I'm just going to join, you know, and, mm-hmm. and not all gyms are created equal and, and not all gyms are going to fit your personality type. Sure. You know, and that, that isn't, I don't think you have to, you know, take this little checklist we've talked about here and say, all right, my coaches have to have X number of years of experience. I've had coaches that have been coaching for a year that are brilliant, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, and, I, and others that have been doing it for a decade that, you know, I thought were terrible. So I, but, you know, there are other athletes that thought the reverse of those two than I did. So I think there's some sure. certainly some personality and opinion that goes into it, too. You just need to interview and, and try it out. My yeah. only caveat to that is now, John, you, you might be different and I probably would be different as well. But for some, if let's say the best gym in town is, is 40 minutes away or 30 minutes away, and then you have, eh, an okay gym right around the corner from your house. My advice to a lot of beginners, especially if you've had a hard time staying consistent in your training. And normally for a lot of beginners, if they want to make progress and, and they're struggling to lose weight and things like that, it's like the only thing stopping you is consistency, right? Like you can go to a pretty terrible gym and see a lot of really good progress. If you just stay consistent um, and pay attention to your body. I would say that in that scenario, um, especially if you're the beginner, then going to the one around the corner still might be the better option until you like fully get addicted to the, you know, you drink the Kool-Aid and then it's like, you know what? I'm commuting. I'm commuting to a better gym. That would be my approach. Uh, What do you think about that? Uh, I've commuted before and, uh, and I've worked out at gyms that were closer to home. And um, you see any consistency difference there? No, but I had already drank the Kool-Aid. Sure. I'd been in for five years. If I had not yep. been in for five years, sure, it would have been much, much harder. For I know sure. for, for me, um, with kind of my schedule ebbs and flows a lot, like I, I'm really lucky that Vantage is, is close to my house because it's also a really well-oiled machine. They, they run their classes really well. Um, 
it's not the most competitive gym. And sure, like if I had a choice, I probably maybe would go to a more competitive gym. But you know what? This sucker's four minutes from my house. And even if the class has started, it's like, oh, the class started two minutes ago. All right, I'm driving the class. <laughs> right. Like, right. and I do it and I tell them, like, hey, listen, like that it was either I do not work out today or I show up eight minutes late and I'll do the burpees or whatever penalty you have me do. Right. But for me, having that option where I can just boom at the drop of a hat, I have my workout go bag ready and I just zoom to the gym. I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, look, I, I think it's a, a very, very good point. Um, most people, particularly when they're new, the better experiences get in there four or five days a week. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, don't opt for, all right, I'm going to the best coach in town, but I'm gonna drive 40 minutes and I can only go three days a week because it's so far away and I can't coordinate my work-life balance with it. Yeah. You know? And so then, I, Oh, that one day there's traffic and then, Oh, yeah. this, and then all of a sudden, yeah. So it's try to make it James clear talks about it. One of my favorite books of all time is atomic habits. And he talks about like, make the habit you're trying to develop as easy as possible to implement. Right. So like whatever you can do to make it the smoothest transition for you to right. go to the gym, it, it try to eliminate all the obstacles. And then the chance of you sticking with it is going to be a lot better. Well, and I'll, I'll make the last point on this and then uh, I can have a second question to it. You should also, if you're trying to figure out if you're in the right gym, you should make sure it's not you. That's the problem. Mm. Like I, I found in most cases, the only common denominator in my fitness issues are me. It isn't the coach. It isn't what they told me. Like, you know, I've, I've had coaches that say, Hey, snatch this way. And the next coach in the same gym tells me a different way. And then the next coach in the same gym tells me a different way. And the problem isn't the fact that they're giving me three different ways. Although it isn't helping my cause any, the problem is I'm not consistently snatching. Hmm. You know, I'm yeah. not consistently working on it. I'm not asking enough questions. Like you got to take some ownership in your own mistakes too. And so oh, absolutely. And back to that, the original, like, Oh, are, you know, here's how you identify a good gym. Are you making progress? If you are, then that's good. Uh, if you're not making progress, like I said, that doesn't necessarily mean that the gym's wrong. Right. You have to also do some self-reflection and, and be willing to admit that you're the, you're the, you're the one with the problem sometimes. Yeah. Somebody uh, told me the other day, they're like, hey, if, if you meet someone who's an asshole, yeah, they probably were. If you continue to meet assholes, you're probably the asshole. <laughs> probably. I like it. Yeah, it's true, though. Uh, along the same topic, then, let's give some defense to the coaches. What are things coaches hate in new athletes coming in? Because I know they love us master's athletes because, you know, we like the value of our dollar. We just will probably do anything they tell us. But new athletes coming in do a lot of dumb stuff. Myself included Ooh. when I started. What are some things coaches hate that you shouldn't do when you're starting this? Um, one of my favorite topics, because I made a meme video about it, and it was, I think, my most popular Instagram post of all time, was the five things every CrossFit coach hates or every coach hates. I think, first of all, it's... Obviously, there's like showing up late... And then always have any excuse for it. Like, it's one thing if you show up late and you're like, hey, I'm late and I own it. Give me the burpees. But at least I'm here. No, no good coach will be like, get out of my gym. You're, you're, you're eight minutes late. Right. I mean, there might be a cutoff there because you might not be safe for you to hop in. But like, for me, it's like, hey, I'm glad you made it. Like, this is better than you not making it. Um, so just, but own it. Don't be like, oh, yeah, the, 
there was a flock of geese walking across the road and I had to rescue the one. And it's not my fault. I'm late. It's like, yes, it is. It's your fault. Um, So just own it. But I think one of the biggest pet peeves that coaches come across is the member who thinks they are so much to where they're like, yeah, you know, you hey, said you should do it this way, say, but say that I again. say that again, you froze and <laughs> you missed your point. Shoot. Um, so the, the, it's the coach or the, one of the biggest issues is when the athlete thinks that they are the expert more so than the coach. And sometimes this does happen, but especially when you have beginners, right? It's very common for beginners to maybe listen to a couple podcasts and they buy the gear and um, three months in, they're like, I know everything there is to know about CrossFit. And I know this and I know that. And then your, your coach is teaching you maybe a couple cues on how to snatch. And you're like, well, no, you see, I was watching the Chinese Olympic weightlifting team do it this way. And uh, I've decided that I'm going to snatch with the narrow grip and, and jam my head through yada, yada, yada. It's like, Whoa. One of the biggest pet peeves for a lot of coaches is someone who like actively talks back and says, no, I don't agree with you. I'm going to do it this way. Obviously there's different scenarios where it works. And, and we, you know, we've obviously championed in this podcast over the first few episodes, we've championed you standing up for yourself as an athlete and, and you know, your body best. However, if a coach is dropping knowledge bombs on you and, and teaching you technique, don't, don't try to tell them that you know better than them. Um, unless you have like lots of experience to back it up. If you're just like, I saw something on Rogan the other day. You know, <laughs> it's just like, come on now. Yeah, they, that's a, you get a, a Google PhD. That's what they call that these days. Yeah. You know, these athletes go out and they watch a video on YouTube with somebody snatching and figure out, oh, I can do that. And that's why I'll start doing it now. They told me to put my hands in this position or my thumb should be in this position or whatever. And, Man, that'll I've seen I've seen coaches roll their eyes so hard you think they're gonna roll right out of the back of their head. <laughs> My favorite part of the the uh session actually. <laughs> nice. And then uh putting away equipment. That's another one where it's like especially people who come in and like uh huge pet peeve of mine when people would come in and they're like they're like working out or like mobilizing or practicing a skill kind of like on the side. The gym that I used to have was pretty small. And they would come in and be like, Hey coach, like, is it cool if I like kind of warm up here on the side uh, so I can practice some things before class starts in 20 minutes as I'm coaching? Yeah, sure. Fine. And then that all the equipment they got out, all the mobility tools and all the, the mats and, and everything is just everywhere. Every, not a single thing was picked up that will piss a coach off. Cause you know, who's, you know, who's, who's probably in charge of putting it all away that coach that has been there right in my case in in this particular scenario since 4 45 in the morning and they're still there at 7 30 p.m trying to clean up your crap just 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 be an adult and put it away i don't i don't feel like i see that as often these days as i did it early on you must have a mature gym well uh maybe i don't know but i don't know if we're mature but i you know i think they're maybe scared of the twins uh what what i think i see coaches that drives them what really drives them crazy is when new members come in or you know kind of newer crossfitters and they feel like they can change the workout without asking 
You ever seen that? It's like, Oh yeah. Whatever, you know, so they take, they listen to us and think, Oh, I can do that scale. And they don't tell the coach they're doing the scale. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of the workout and everybody else is doing box jumps. And this one guy's doing, you're just going for a run. Yeah. Or yeah. Doing whatever, you know? And, uh, for me, that's just rude. Like, yeah. To, to not consult your coach on what you should be doing or what they want you to do and, and to even discuss what the stimulus of the workout should be, you know? I, yeah. I feel like I see that pretty often. Um, Ooh, I, I, I would also one. say I'll, I shouldn't, I don't see this often, but I see it. It isn't, again, not putting equipment away, but not respecting the equipment. Like dropping dumbbells is a really yes. good example of that. Like don't drop empty. Em- how many memes have you made about empty barbells being dropped? I don't see that. I think I've done enough that people know that's a huge no-no, but I see <laughs> people drop dumbbells and they for- those things break, man. Like people forget, like yeah. not to mention, you know, you're dropping a 50 pound dumbbell, you know, from overhead. It's not, you know, these are concrete floors, concrete cracks like anything else, you know, it's just, uh, which is a bad situation. And even worse is the kettlebells that they're dropping from overhead that are crazy. You're oh. not oh, only no. going to bounce at weird angles and can snap your ankle, but you can, you know, you can break a kettlebell, you know, yeah. I think people think these things are indestructible, but they're not. Yeah. It's like there's rubber on the floor. It's like, do you know what un- what's underneath the rubber? Right. A slab of concrete. And in some cases like office buildings, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, come on now. Um, Another one, I, I just, man, I don't want to call them out, but I specifically remember like three members at my gym when I like first started. They were brand new members of our brand new gym. Almost everyone was like just starting CrossFit for the first time back then. And this one guy, I would always tell him like, hey, man, like we'd be doing DT, uh, five rounds for time of, what is it, nine dead or uh, seven deadlifts, nine no five deadlifts i don't know it's dt i can't remember it off the top of my head i think it's six nine twelve six deadlifts nine hang power cleans i know you get 12 12 push jerks i did it um so we're doing dt now and you know the prescribed way six by the way not i can't it's late okay (laughs) i didn't sleep well last night man i'm that's bad that i don't even know dt i know um all right, go ahead. Go ahead. So it's DT, twelve nine six. Yes, and I remember telling him like, "Hey man, his name is Dan. Dan, one fifty five. It's not gonna work for you, buddy. Like we get, we're gonna have to tone this down." He's like, "Oh, you sure? You sure? We're talking like one rep max clean and jerk, one seventy five probably, right? Nothing wrong with that, but if you're expected to do five rounds of." 12, nine, and six of deadlifts, hang power cleans, and push jerks. That's way too much to do with one, 155. I was like, yeah, man, what about, what about 115? He's like, ah, I don't think so, coach. And honestly, like, it should have been 95. Like, let's be clear, like, 115 was too heavy for him. And he freaking puts on 145. He's like, I'll scale it down a little bit, coach. Puts on 145. And there's a certain point where a coach is just going to let you fail for the sake of failing and just see and see your world burn. I gave him every opportunity. I pleaded with him, like, let's do no more than one, one fifteen. And he got out of the first round and like nearly died. And then he, it took him like, I don't know, like 
34 minutes or something like that. Like I like rolled his barbell to the other side of the gym so that we could start the next class. Like it's one thing to cheer on everyone. It's okay if you're a little bit later than everybody, but if you just blatantly ignore your coaches pleads for scaling and you're like, Oh no, I can do this. And then just, just try to flex your ego. Uh, that was really frustrating. So please watch out for that. Everybody. Last thing on this topic, you know what everyone hates? At least what I hate. I shouldn't say everyone, but I think I think most people universally hate this. When you have either someone that's on a competitor track or worse yet, a well, coach doing a different workout than everyone else in the room. You are not too good that you don't have to do the group workout. Don't come in and do your own damn thing for an hour while everybody else is doing the same thing. That drives me crazy, like batty. And particularly as a new athlete, don't come in and ask if you can. Like, you, you know, you get, there's a lot of people starting new that are pretty fit coming in and they immediately think, all right, I think you said it the other night, I'm going to go do comp train or mayhem or whatever. Don't start asking your coach to do your own programming. Like, don't do that. Don't be that guy. Especially if you're a beginner. Okay. And dude, I can't even begin to describe to you how many, like drop-ins back in the day. Like we're talking like, it's one thing if you are a games level athlete and you have like, and you are, are very actively training for a specific competition, your peak, you got like, you have like a very meticulous schedule built out. But if you're not, if you're a beginner or you're someone who like throws down at a, garage gym and follows, you know, whatever misfits or Invictus or Comtrain or whatever. And you're on some track and you like go away for a vacation and drop into a gym. Yes. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Like, don't be like, Hey guys, um, I'm just going to do my own thing on the side. Like just freaking drop into a CrossFit gym and enjoy it. Okay. You might not have gotten the, the three hour beat down you were hoping for, but like, come on, like be a social human being. I mean, part of the joy, and I know, John, you and I are on the same page here. One of my favorite aspects of CrossFit is being able to go to any city in the entire world, pretty much, drop into a CrossFit gym, even if the workout's not that good, or even if the coach isn't that good, you, you make friends and you, and you like, you just get plugged in the local community. And the best way not to do that is to, Hey, I'm on this real competitive track. Yeah. I place. 287,000th in the open last year. And I'm really trying to get into the top 200 K. So I got this, I got this program. I got to follow today on my, you know, second day of my beach vacation. It's like, come on, please. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy or girl. All right. Well, I think we covered everything you should and shouldn't do in a gym. Um, oh no, we didn't even scratch the surface. Well, but. <laughs> I think we covered a lot, a lot of the important things for new, new people coming in. Sure. That's, that's the important thing we want to cover here. And, uh, so I had a, here's an interesting question that came in. Michelle, one of our listeners messaged me. She goes, Hey, I'm a 55 year old female. been doing CrossFit for seven years and also a part-time coach. So that's good. Love the podcast. Thank you, Michelle. We love you too. You're the best, Michelle. You're the best. Uh, we'd be interested to hear you guys discuss volume and wads and how to handle it as a master's athlete example. If a workout has a large number of barbell movements, I always tend to go really light. And sometimes it works. Sometimes I feel like I underestimated myself. But I would say it's the same with anything with a lot of reps. Hmm. So I have an answer for this, but I'd be curious to your thoughts on it. Yeah, so my initial thoughts are it sounds, based on just the phrasing and wording there, and I could be wrong, it sounds like when you see a lot of reps – 
you immediately default to a very lightweight, almost as if you're afraid that you're going to get into the workout and then realize you've made a wrong decision and there's no way to change. So what I often tell people, like if I'm coaching that situation and let's say it's a, we'll use DT as an example, because I already used it in the podcast. Let's say it's DT, which is an example of a lot of barbell reps. Okay. If you come to me like coach, I really, I really think I could do this at, uh, let's say 115. You're scaling, but you're like, I think 115, I don't know. It's going to get really heavy. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to do 95. But as a coach, regardless of if I know you or not, obviously I'll watch you move in warm-ups and things like that. But let's say I'm like, I think you can do 115. I'm just going to be like this. How about this? Do your first two rounds at 115. And then you get to choose what your next three rounds are. You, you have your weights out. You can make a switch of Rooney right in the middle of the workout. I give you that permission because this workout isn't for writing it on the whiteboard. You don't have to explain yourself to the gym that, oh, I switch weights in the middle. This workout is for you and for you only. So try it at the weight that you are maybe going to do a little bit of a stretch goal and say, I think I can do this at 115. Try it at 115. And then if after two rounds, you're like, you know what? I'm definitely not feeling this. This was a bad decision. Then you can drop it to 95. That's how I would approach it, where it's like, take a chance. And then if the chance doesn't work out, you just swallow your ego and say, oh, nope, that was the wrong decision. And then switch in the middle of the workout and keep moving. It's not going not gonna to negatively affect too many things. That would be my suggestion. So I view it like a math problem. I view everything like math problems, to be fair, or most things like math problems. But I view this one as a very specific math problem that can be tailored to the individual based on your skill set. So th- I think of it like, let's compare, like, let's start with like running as a good example. So if, if I said, Ben, you got to go out and run a mile, how fast can you run a mile? Five minutes and something, 5.30. Okay, so you, so you can run 10 miles in 50 minutes? No way. Right. 10 miles. You'd slow down the mile, right? In order to achieve 10 miles, you'd slow it down. It's a math problem. You'd figure out how much do I have to slow it down in order to get my best time for 10 miles. And Mm -hmm. you'd same for five miles, the same for three miles. There's the, you know, a distance and, and speed equation you have to figure out. We're so different for this. When you start thinking about weight, like if you said to me, John, you have to do 10 kettlebell swings. What weight do you want to choose? Well, I could, do just about any weight, you know, I'd figure out whatever my max weight was for 10, you know, and I could use the 70, no problem. I can do 10 swings of a 70 pound kettlebell and, and not really worry about it. I can't do a hundred mm-hmm. with a 70 pound kettlebell. So if there's a hundred reps of that kettlebell in a workout, I now have to do the math of how much do I need to come down by percentage? And it's the same for well, any barbell movement. Thrusters is a great example of one. So the RX for Fran, for men is 95, for women is 65, is 45 reps, right? So for the sake of this and doing easy math, let's call it 50 reps, right? So if I know that 50 reps at 95 pounds is going to crush me, right? Then I'm going to start, for me, it's reverse engineering. I'm reverse engineering that math. And I've, over time, have kind of developed a sense of if I can do 50 at 95 pounds, I know if I've got to do a hundred, it's not going to be at 95 pounds. 
is probably going to be 30 pounds lighter than that. And this is for me, not for everyone, right? So you kind of have to start to figure out each individual movement, kind of where your thresholds are, because it's different. All those movements are different for you. Follow me, like snatches are different than clean and jerks. Kettlebell swings are far different than double unders. And so for me, I've, I keep a little chart with me of how much I should come down by percentage. So like today with the back squats, for instance, you said it earlier in the podcast, you know, 155 is nowhere near my one rep max. Well, I knew it was 25 reps. And that's a relatively high threshold for back squats in a workout for mm-hmm. whatever that's worth. So I was running, you know, 50% of my one rep max less than 50% of my one rep max. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking in percentages, not, you know, how many reps, you know, necessarily how many reps. So it's 25 reps. I've got to do, you know, this weight. I'm just thinking, well, I know my one rep max is, I think these days is like 305 or through maybe 315. And so I'm thinking, I'm just going to cut it in half and get, you know, get closer to 150. And I know I should be able to move that weight in that amount of time. Cause to your point that, you know, a kid that was doing DT that you let crush his soul, you know, if had he done the math and said, man, that's 60 deadlifts. Come on, Dan. Well, think about it. Like, you know, you go a deadlift at 115 is not a big deal. It really isn't. That's not very heavy for most people until you go at 60 of them. Yeah. And honestly, the deadlift, I mean, in this particular case, let's say we're comparing it to his clean and jerk. It's like the hang power cleans, which is a weaker movement than the full clean and a push jerk, which is a weaker movement than like a true jerk, you know, a split jerk. Just like, dude, you are, you are not thinking this through. And I tried to be logical with them, but it didn't work. Um, And then, you know, there are other dynamics. That's a great example of another dynamic that comes into play. Then you also have to look at what's, if there are more than one barbell movement, what's the hardest of the three movements for you? Oh yeah. You got to start with where's the breaking point. Yeah, that's the one you're scaling to. It Which is, is that push jerk for most people in that workout. Virtually everyone, it's going to be that push jerk. Yeah. Almost everyone. It might be the hang for some, but mm-hmm. most everyone it will be. You know, And so for me, it just becomes a simple math problem of figuring out you know, how many reps can I do. So I, the, probably the easiest way to think of it, instead of thinking of percentages, when I first started, here's what I did. Now it's percentages for me. But in the early days, I just calculated weight moved. That was it. Hmm. And, and I just said, all right, if I knew, for instance, um, you know, if, if you said, Johnny, you have to do a one rep max of a deadlift, right? And, you know, for me, that's close to 400 pounds. So, and you're going to do it five times, you know, take a couple of minutes in between, right? So I'm going to move a couple of thousand pounds of deadlifts. Well, if the, the workout itself has deadlifts in it, and I know there are a hundred reps or well, I already know how hard it is to move 2000 pounds for five reps. Right. Mm-hmm. So I started to start doing, I started doing the math of going, all right, well, here's how much weight I want to move over the course of this workout. And for me, it started giving me at least some direction to practice, to test it. Cause it's not an exact science, but I was able to start testing where I was. And so I never found myself going far too light in workouts and I never really found myself going far too heavy either. Mm-hmm. I would, there would be workouts. I go, okay, that wasn't the right weight. And I'd have to mm-hmm. change it. But because I was testing it and tracking it and scoring myself, I was able to find my weights and my reps for virtually all movements. So now I'm at the point where 
I can look at a workout and say, all right, I know what my weight is just based on the volume of that workout. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think it's, uh, all I'm picturing is like Zach Galifianakis in the hangover <laughs> where he starts calculating cards and he's just like, has all the numbers floating right. by and then starts winning all the games. Uh, that's what I'm picturing. Um, but I think it's important. Uh, I remember in our last podcast discussion, you talked about always keeping a journal and tracking uh, your results. To uh, Michelle, it was Michelle, right? And who? Yep. Michelle was. Or was it a different person? No, it was okay. Michelle. So, Michelle, I would say just because there are some times where maybe you estimate incorrectly, just like John said, he estimates incorrectly sometimes. That's okay. Chalk it up as a learning experience and then just make sure you write it down. So the next time you go to do a similar workout or the same workout, which that's what's cool about CrossFit is we repeat a lot of workouts. When you go back to it, you're like, oh, shoot. Yep. I remember saying that that barbell was way too light or in Dan's case. Wow. I remember (laughs) coach Ben was really pissed and it took me 45 minutes to finish this workout and it was supposed to take less than 15. Huh? Um, and if you if you write it down, you're going to have a much higher propensity to actually remember it. And then and then the next time it might not be quite as much of a quote unquote failed experiment. But I just don't beat yourself up if like you hit a workout and you're like, man, I could have gone way heavier. Like I didn't get the stimulus I wanted. It's like it's just a workout, right? Just show up the next day and get after it. And especially if you're keeping track of it, like John's talking about, you're you will over time start to realize like, oh yeah, every time there's high volume deadlifts, like I don't feel that good three days later, I'm going to probably tone it down a couple notches this time. Or yeah, I remember doing this workout and wow, I really like thrusters. That was way easier than I expected. I'm going to, I'm going to bump it up a little bit. Just, just taking these notes at the time of the workout are really, really important. And the only other thing I would suggest doing too, because I still do this to this day is I ask my coach, um, how would you break this up? If oh you, yeah. That's a good one. If you were doing this workout, how, and you keep in mind, like my coaches are games athletes and, and you know, I think most, a lot of, I would us, do all 40 unbroken, well, but that's the point is they will say, all right, this section I would do unbroken this section. I would break five, 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 five. Right. And so then you have to decide a, can I do it unbroken? Is it a movement I can do unbroken? B, if I'm going to take breaks, like what weight should I do to achieve that stimulus, right? It'll just help you make better decisions. And often the coach can steer you, you know, kind of in that, in that guidepost, just don't get down on yourself when you don't achieve exactly what they tell you. Yeah, Yeah, exactly what you should. And then there are also going to be moments where the coach tells you, Hey, you should try this and their rep scheme is crap and it doesn't work Mm -hmm. for you and you need to do something different for you. So it's I certainly really like not it. an exact science. Yeah. I really like it when Vantage, um, see, like let's say there's a workout that calls for, I don't know, we'll do Fran as, as an example. It's like Fran, in order to maintain the intensity that Fran is supposed to be, you know, the coach in the front might be like, hey, listen, um, here's the prescribed weight and whatever. But when you're choosing your weight, try to go for something where each set, the 21, the 15, and 9, you can do it in two sets or less, ideally. If you have to put the barbell down, especially on that first set and the second set, if you have to put the barbell down three times, 
then chances are you might've gone a little too heavy and it's going to be hard for you to maintain that stimulus or scaling the pull-ups for that matter. It's like, if you, um, if you have to break up the pull-ups into singles, even though I kind of do, I really like singles and a lot of workouts for some people. Um, so I don't even want to use that as an example, but they kind of give you suggested rep schemes. Like, Hey, I would love it if you can hit these unbroken, like in, in pure sprint workouts, uh, like the workout we did the other day where there was 15 dumbbell squats, they're like, don't put that dumbbell down. Like you need to use a weight where you can come back and hit it unbroken. Like that's the goal because that's going to be a true sprint. If you have to put the dumbbell down, then you've broke. It's like stopping in the middle of a, of a sprint. No one would ever do that. You got to keep moving. Um, so just really interesting. I like it when coaches kind of give you that direction. So that's a good lesson for, for coaches, gym owners. A lot of times the members, they don't know how to break it up um, or they would love to hear how you would break it up or how you would suggest to. I'm always asking how to break it up. And it's, it became a running joke for a while that I would ask Spencer, you know, how do I break it up? And his answer was always just go full sin, baby. Just, you know, I'm broken. Just do it all, you know? And then eventually I'm like, you got to stop that. Like, where am I breaking? <laughs> and then he would tell me where to break and I would completely disregard what he told me. And I'd still do my own thing. And then once we kind of got past that and I started listening, then you start learning, like, you know, because it doesn't always work where they tell you, but if you're keeping good notes and you understand what you did, then when you do something similar later, you can either try something else or you can retest it to see if you got better, you know, yep. sometimes Definitely. you're good at it. And then there are, you know, kind of the last thing I think, you know, to your point of Fran, sometimes you have to recognize you're never going to get there mm. or be able to do what others can. So an example, like that, what's your Fran time? 222. There you go. I couldn't get I couldn't get into the twos if I used an empty barbell. Yeah. And now I can do Fran RX in four thirty, maybe. You know, I'm under five minutes these days. And that's fast for me, but I don't do butterfly pull-ups. Mm-hmm. And there's zero chance I'm trying to do 45 thrusters unbroken, which is mm-hmm. the which you have to. Not only do you have to do them unbroken, but you have to pull the barbell down from up top. Yeah. Be moving fast enough to do it two minutes, right? Sure. Uh, I got 232 in a competition and broke three times. Well, my point is, I, yeah, but you're moving fast on the thrusters. You I were can't, pulling the barbell down. For yeah, sure. I can't pull the barbell down. That's the yeah. thing. Like, I can't, I don't have that, nor do I have, you know, the capacity to do it. So, my point is, is like for the most normal people, which I wouldn't put you in the normal people, Ben, is that, uh, you know, I, you're never going to be able to accomplish that. And that's okay. My yeah, I mean, original Fran time was 9.50 at 40 right. years old. So it, it doesn't matter if you, can, if you can match some hypothetical goal that someone else, you know, like, oh, I really want a sub three Fran. It's like, okay, that's fine. What do you, what's your Fran now? All right, if it's in the threes, then sure. Like, that could be an admirable goal. If it's in the nines, then it's like, you know, let's try to get it in the eights and then the sevens and then, you know, and keep making that incremental progress. Um, I think, again, I, I love coming back to this idea of like, just knock down your next domino. Don't try to knock them all down. Just knock down the next one. Uh, and that's going to keep you moving forward. Um, one random tip that I really felt compelled to share. This is a golden nugget. Uh-oh, is we go. I'm a huge fan. We're talking about rep schemes. I love and continue to love descending rep schemes. So if you have, let's say, 20 or 21 in this case, let's say you have 21 thrusters and you want to do something in three sets or eight 
seven, six. Like there's beauty in that because the first set or the second set is a little bit easier because there's one less rep. And then the final set is a little bit easier because there's one less rep. It always blows my mind when people are like, oh, I split it perfectly down the middle, like 10, 10, one or, or right. 11, 10, like that, that's even descending. But it's the people who are like, who are like, uh, let's say 20 reps. So they're just like, oh, I just did four sets of five. I'm like, are you insane? Right. <laughs> like <laughs> descending reps, baby. Big, big fan. Uh, I love that my one of my favorite workout rep schemes is 10 down to one, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, because you can do anything past that round of six unbroken. Like sure. you can do five reps, anything for a long yeah. period of time, but it gets so hard. So, like, it, it's a hard workout for two reasons. You get that 10, 9, 8, 7, that's just a mental grind because you're three rounds in and you know I've got seven more rounds to go. Right. And it's been so hard up until that point. But then you also know you have to go unbroken the mm. remainder of the way because the reps aren't enough where you really should be breaking. Yeah. In, in most cases, I realize there are probably some exceptions here, but yeah, I love playing those mental games. And like, even when I'm, when I'm coming up with reps, rep schemes for myself, like I love writing it in a way where it's like, all right, I know I'm going to have to push it here, but if I'm successful at pushing it here and I hit this set of seven, then I know when I go to pick back up the bar and it's only a set of five, like I'm going to be able to crush it. There's just something about like that descending rep scheme that really uh, does wonders for me. Yeah, it's fun. I program a lot of those for myself and I always hate them and I always love them because, it, you know, we talked about this uh, the other night. It's one of those things that keeps you motivated. Like when you have three reps, two reps, one rep to go, you're not going to stop mm-hmm. or most people aren't going to stop. You know, you're just going to, power your way through the end. Cause you're like, Oh, I only got two more reps. I only have one more rep. I'm just going to go, you know, you're mm-hmm. not taking breaks, not grabbing your knees, not, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, it hurts so bad. It's the best. Yep. So, all right, well, this is fun, man. I like these uh, questions from listeners. I, I guess I would ask people listening to shoot us DMS. We'll give you a shout out, say your name. You know, I like these detailed questions. Hey, we love you. Yes, we we certainly love when people send us questions. So DM them, um, send them all to Ben. He's the organized one. I'm kidding. Uh, I literally just made a note here on my screen that'll be on my iPhone from now on. Uh, <laughs> podcast ideas. So send away. Well, and I, actually, I the would clearer also, and more detailed you are. Yeah, and I would say, you know send them to the Scale and Bell Instagram because we don't have a lot of mail. Like I get a lot of mail coming in on my personal true, Insta, true, and stuff gets lost there. It won't get lost on the Scale and Bell. So just send it to the Scale and Bell Instagram. We'll use that, uh, or you can send it to Bennett Wad Prep or Make Wads Great Again. We're happy to look at them there too. But you're more likely to get noticed at the Scale and Bell Instagram, and we'd love to read some of your questions on the podcast. So I agree. Uh, with that, we'll wrap it up. Ben, enjoy your trip. Yeah, I'm gonna be go going to be living in the woods for a couple weeks so hopefully next podcast i have a really big beard and maybe like a deeper voice and just come back stories of of elk come back all manly we can only hope all right (laughs) well it's fun man and uh, for everyone listening we appreciate you guys joining us and we will chat with you guys next week peace